Hi everyone and welcome to this afternoon's panel discussion in light of International Women's Day. Thank you all for joining. Um, my name is Stacey Van Bergen and I am the Chair of the Women's Network here at CGI in the UK. Um, unfortunately, our co-chair Debbie Street can't be with us this afternoon, but I'm also joined by Stacey Valentine from Talk Talk as the co-host of today's session. And this year's theme for International Women's Day is around Break the Bias. And in case some of you haven't heard any of the other sessions that have um, run this week on the topic, Break the Bias is about encouraging a gender equal world where there is no bias, there are no stereotypes or discrimination, and it's about living in a world that's diverse, equitable and inclusive. About one in 20 UK adults say they've experienced discrimination at work on the, on the basis of their gender. And so this is a very prevalent topic that I'm really looking forward to discussing with our great panel members today who will be introduced very shortly. In the meantime, I will hand over to Stacey. Brilliant. Thanks, Stacey. I think we're going to have a great conversation today. So we've got a panel event, very conversational. Tara, if I could start, hand over to you a little bit about yourself and your career experience to date, please. Yeah, thank you, Stacey and Stacey. I've never wanted to be called Stacey more in my life, I think. So, yes. Um, yeah, Tara again. I uh, run uh, CGI uh, UK and Australia, um, and I've been doing that for about four and a half years now. Um, if you'd met me a long time ago you and asked me what I was doing, I would not be doing this. Um, I, I'm the least ambitious person I know. Um, and I've sort of, you know, I did started my life in north of England um, worked a million jobs and what have you through college and um, then just drifted into a engineering degree because somebody told me that my A-levels were in arts and I needed a rounded career and I was in the pub actually when they told me that and I thought you're absolutely right I'll do a degree in engineering so did an engineering degree just almost as a bet I suppose as I think about it now um, after that I kind of applied for a bunch of jobs got the first job um, in a manufacturing industry that um, made uh, clothes for Marks and Spencers um, and they pushed me into like the, the IT department and so again serendipity rather than plan and then from there I moved two or three times to I worked for uh, the post office and national grid and then ultimately to Logica that became CGI. I would probably I will be able to talk about some bias but I would say perhaps the biggest bias I have is myself that I've never never really planned anything or thought you know, of a career plan in a way that others might do. And I'm quite keen to explore that a little bit with the panel because it's sometimes it's easy to blame others, but, you know, sometimes you have to look to yourself a little bit as well. So, um, but delighted to be here. Quite a um, bit of imposter syndrome in all of the other panellists here as well. So, you know, I'm looking forward to hearing what they have to say. Great. Thanks, Tara. Donna? You're on mute, Donna. Is gonna, there's always going to be a first person on mute and that was me. Um, quite glad to hear that Tara feels like an imposter with a panellist because I report into Tara so that's just amazing. Thanks Tara. <laughs> so my name's Donna Kelly. Um, I'm a business unit leader um, and also have the privilege of being the executive sponsor for DE&I within CGI UK and Australia. Um, so my background, um, left school very stereotypically went into the caring profession and started off life as a nurse, um, worked through as a state registered nurse, worked in uh, accident emergency and then um, became a parent and actually found myself becoming a single parent. And in those days there wasn't flexibility in working, so I wasn't able to do shifts and became an industrial nurse working in a factory, which was incredibly boring right next door was the IT suite. 
And very quickly, I recognised that, you know, there was probably a little bit more money in that industry, but equally, my skills could be transferred. So dealing with people, problem solving, looking for solutions were actually transferable skills. So I've been in the IT industry for over 30 years. So, uh, yeah, that's my story. Fabulous. And I think it's always great to see the non-traditional routes in as well and how people. So, yeah, we can explore some of that in the conversation today. Great. Rebecca. Hi, um, I've got a slightly different career story. It was quite a sort of um, classic, in some ways, traditional path into civil service and senior civil service after a degree in politics and um, some time in graduate school and some time in a think tank. Um, I uh, applied to the civil service and went to the Treasury, where I spent um, 16 years through the whole Blair Brown government working on overseeing public spending and on international policy. Um, but that's quite a traditional route, but I did it in quite a non-traditional style. I remember arriving quite early on, not recognising perhaps the somewhat uh, dominant um, uh, male culture and doing a presentation on women in the tax system and how there should be VAT, um, there shouldn't be VAT on sanitary towels and gender bias in the tax system to some slightly stunned faces uh, and then some women in the audience who sort of cheered me on who've been my mental network um, ever since. Um, but I did 16 fantastic years there um, including the last two in a phenomenal um, job share um, and I felt a calling not to stay in the centre of government, I warned my job share partner this would happen, but to go closer to the coal face. We went on promotion together to the Home Office to be directors on counter-terrorism and then when our job share needs were, were different, we just needed to go, she needed to go um, uh, full time. Um, she stayed in the Home Office and I started a journey into criminal justice working first in counter-terrorist policing another very male culture, but different from Treasury, um, and then taking the leap away from central government and working at the London level um, for first Boris Johnson as mayor and then Sadiq Khan as mayor, um, overseeing the Metropolitan Police and commissioning um, crime reduction and victim services in London um, at the Mayor's Office for Policing and Crime um, the last three years as, as chief exec. Um, and then I wasn't really looking for a move, um, but the headhunters called me up and said that the chief executive of the Crown Prosecution Service um, was open. Um, and over the course of the application process for that job, I really fell in love with the organisation. Um, and it's a phenomenal privilege to be leading this part of the justice system as chief exec. CGI, um, you're one of our um, uh, major suppliers, run our casework system. To those CGI colleagues on the call, I'm so grateful to you for supporting us in keeping the wheels of justice turning during the pandemic. And it's a fantastic organisation with very strong networks and a real commitment to diversity and inclusion. So different path, bias along the way, which I will I will talk about, um, but wonderful to be here. Thanks, Rebecca. And I think, again, that's really interesting because you'll give us a different view and perspective from public services, which I think sometimes we don't always really face into as well. So I think that'll be fab today as, as we step through. And then finally, um, Nikki, over to yourself. Thanks, Stacey. Hi, everyone. I'm uh, Nikki Jennings. I'm the Group Transformation Director at Talk Talk. Um, my journey into, uh, into leadership and technology 
managing contracts for local health authorities very early on in the 1990s. Um, I then one day saw this advert for um, this small cable company called Telewest. I thought, oh, that, that sounds quite interesting. Um, you know, I wasn't particularly, yeah, I wasn't enjoying what I was doing in, in my current role. So I thought, oh, I'll go and have a look at that. That sounds really interesting. Didn't really think too much about it. Um, and started my journey into telecoms at that point at a, at a very young age. And I've now been in telecoms over 25 years. It was quite frightening to actually think that. Um, so as I say, I started off at, at, at Telewest. Um, and uh, again, I started in, in, in purchasing and procurement and ran um, a number of tenders for um, their national network, their internet services, they were their first ISP services, pretty much everything and anything that goes into the ground to, to do a fiber network, I ran tenders for and, and worked across all areas of the business. Um, but one area that I particularly had um, a great affinity with and spent a lot of time helping them solve their problems was, was what was then called uh, engineering and operations. And that effectively rolled into a, into a job um, effectively implementing processes and projects and um, for the tenders I just run for that that area rolling rolling out their their, their huge um, point in time and through as you all know the um, the the, tele, the the cable industry as it was then the telecoms industry grew through merger and acquisition and um, I progressed through there into Telewest then NTL Telewest and then finally Virgin Media and and in that combined organisation spent 18 years uh, of my life, um, progressing through various roles from process, like I say, process management, definition, project management. Then I got involved in service management and really setting up um, service management, incident change, problem, those sorts of things for what they called their advanced services, which we now know as TV. <laughs> and dial up internet or net what is now is broadband so really interesting to be involved right at the start of that of that revolution in in telecommunications and that launch of dial up internet and you remember the modems that made that strange noise that we used to plug in and digital television and and how that merge of it and traditional telecoms came together and how we worked through operationalizing that and, and so forth so really exciting didn't really consider at the time that i that you know what an amazing point in time that was. Um, but uh, on reflection now, I realise it was quite a bit of a once in a lifetime um, opportunity and really made my way through, you know, through, through to manager, senior manager, head of department um, and then director. And then um, after about 18 years, uh, I got married. I had two children. So I'm also a mum of two uh, not so little boys anymore. And um, I decided very purposefully to take a career break because just felt that I needed to, to reset myself a little bit because I'd been in the industry a long time. Um, took a year, decided maybe the grass wasn't greener and really missed the drive of being in work and, um, and then went back to work a year later after getting involved in you know, the PTA and chairing the PTA of my son's schools, all those sorts of things to keep me busy. And then went and worked for Capita and then more latterly five years ago, um, this amazing organisation Talk Talk, uh, where I went, back into um, a service-based role, but more latterly, I've, I've uh, had the privilege of driving through um, Talk Talk's One Plan, their transformational priorities for the, for the next five years. So it's very exciting. Really pleased to be here today and, and talking to you all. 
lovely thanks Nikki and it's yeah it's great to hear from from each and every one of you it's quite inspirational to hear all of your um, career journey stories so thank you very much for sharing um, so without further ado we'll get into the questions and Tara if it's okay I'll, I'll direct the the first one to you but uh, you know anyone can kind of pitch in and, and feel free to add um, so the first kind of sort of questions we'll ask is around kind of your experiences around um, well, your experiences and observations of bias. So what particular bias do you think exists within your industry, the industry that you work in, and, and how do you think it manifests itself? Yeah, it's a tricky one. I think for me in the technology sector is actually pretty good. So um, when you're in the tech sector, it's quite new, isn't it? We've only been a sector for, as, as Nikki was explaining in telco, it's even newer um, from a tech sector point of view. So we've probably only been a, around for about 20 years in anger, um, maybe 25. So we haven't or shouldn't have the shorthand of, of bias that maybe older professions like law, et cetera, have got because of hundreds of years of it always having been this way. But we do seem to have a bit of shorthand around uh, language, for example, perhaps that's the bias I would introduce to the group. So if I did see bias, it would be being accused of caring too much. You know, you were a bit emotional about that, you know, a, a suggestion that, you know, being passionate is a weakness um, and expressing a view in a, using language that maybe women are more comfortable using than men um, is a weakness that gets called out. And I have you know, I, I get that all even now, you know, I, you know, I can see that it might make some of my male colleagues uncomfortable to move straight to um, using quite uh, emotional language, but I'm very comfortable using that language. So I don't feel I need to change how I present my thinking. But that is something I don't know if the rest of the group have seen the same, but I, I have been called out and, and sidebar, oh, you know, she's a bit upset or emotional or bothered, you know, the fact that I'm bothered, I think we should be more bothered about the people who aren't bothered, um, would be my, and that, that obviously makes me even more emotional, doesn't it? So, you know, I think that area is still an issue that we haven't grappled. Uh, I don't know if um, any of the other panellists have seen something similar. I, I, t I tend to agree with you, Tara. I think, I think you're right in, the, in telecoms. Um, you know, I, I, I don't see that I have not experienced the level of bias, but it never occurred to me to think about it. I'll be honest. I was so, you know, when I was when I was younger, I was just so interested in it and just thought I've just got to do this and I've got to do this. And I sort of didn't consider it. Um, so wasn't as aware of it as maybe as maybe others may have. nature of you know caring and some of the language you will use has been you know, can be perceived and um, you know in a, in a way that is maybe not as positive you know I personally believe that um, as, a, as a female leader actually the whole person is really important so it's really important when you're talking to people about what they do and how they do it at work and their capability but it's also important to understand a bit about what drives them and a bit about what they care about and what's going on for them in their whole piece. And, and that tends for me to help break down bias, break down barriers. And I do think there's some criticism of that, but I think it's changing. And um, certainly I've seen that change in the last five years. Probably in my earlier career, I probably did get a bit of, you know, 
are you getting not emotional but you know you're very passionate about that you're very you're very driven you know and that wasn't necessarily a positive thing at the time but i will say over the past you know certainly the the, the past uh, the past five years i've not seen that it's it's much more embraced and more of a natural way of working I think I'd agree with a lot of a lot of what has been said in in the in the two sectors I've worked in, so government um, and then and then law or law government hybrid. Um, we've seen so much structural change. I mean, the civil service is very very progressive on um, women reaching senior levels. I've seen that um, as part of my career. I've been supported by many and have been able to. And, this, um, and the CPS in terms of our own em, em, employment. I mean, women actually make up 56% of the top quartile of earners um, and uh, are very well represented throughout the, the organization in terms of volumes, unlike the criminal bar, um, which um, is, is, is still very male. Um, and there's something around that in, a, we were formed only 40 years ago, a lot of our senior women joined 20 to 30 years ago um, uh, when the CPS was was had many more female joiners than the criminal bar. Now our women are uh, strong senior legal leaders. But I think like everybody who's spoken, there's there's definite bias that I've experienced at different times around um, attitudes and assumptions made about style. Uh, so it's okay for a man to be strong or loud or assertive, less okay um, for a woman. Um, and also what I've really observed strongly from mentoring and from being reverse mentored is if you've got any other um, protected characteristic in addition to, to sex. So my uh, black minority ethnic women colleagues, there's additional um, huge, huge um, um, attitudinal issues um, faced. So I, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd really echo that. There's, there's that um, external attitude bias, and I think also um, the correlation between, um, you know, the inner factors, the inner factor, the inner critic. I, I would observe. I haven't seen the quantitative information, but I would bet if there are studies, they would show them it disproportionately sits with women. Um, uh, the inner critic, um, and so, but I, but I'm also very positive. There's a lot you can do um, to improve the situation and tackle it. Yeah, and that was going to be the next question, really. Um, and and Donna, hopefully you can build on this. So focusing on the bias, and Nikki mentions it is around the awareness of bias. Um, <clears throat> what can we all do to be more aware? you know and organizations is there more that you know we can do around dni strategy so that people can behave in a certain way because they can connect with their own bias yeah definitely i think i mean firstly there's the obvious which is undertaking training right so unconscious bias training and i think that should be mandatory for everybody um I did. Uh, I didn't think I had a bias, um, you know, especially with my background, uh, being a woman in the workplace, being a mother, being a single parent, all those kind of things. I really just genuinely didn't think I had one. Um, but doing that training, I um, identified that I do have a bias. So my bias was called benevolence. So it was a benevolent bias. Um, and because of my caring background and profession, 
I do care a lot about people. And so when job opportunities were presented, I would often think about the candidates and think, oh, that wouldn't be right for Stacey or Stacey because, you know, I know that, you know, that they're both parents and, you know, they've got to look after their young children. But actually, Bob and Steve, they don't have to worry about that because, you know, they've got a wife at home who's looking after the children. So I I didn't realise that my, my caring side and taking people's kind of their own situations into consideration, not my place to make that decision at all. So very quickly sort of stopped that behaviour and would talk to every candidate about the opportunity and let them make their own mind up for themselves. So so that was mine that I identified. The other thing I think that we can do as well um, outside of unconscious bias training is also leverage the networks that we have. So one of the key things about all the networks we have within CGI and one of the you know probably number one priority items that I say to all of the networks when they're being established is one of their key purposes is about education. So how to educate others, be that in language or be that in style or what is it that we really need to understand about each other? So I think those two things understand yourself, but also lean in from those that have a life experience. I, I would really echo that, um, Donna. I mean, there's there's lots of things an organisation could do, um, and um, I'm so proud of our DNI offer. But there's a lot you can do around policies. Um, it's absolutely necessary training. Also necessary is the leadership priority um, that's attached, and the culture, which takes constant vigilance and ensuring uniformity of culture, is really important. So you don't just you have pockets um, it, where um, there's lack of bias. It's got to be everywhere. It takes it takes constant work. But that role of networks is absolutely is absolutely key. So I commend you who all of you who are on networks. Um, and I've seen here compared to other organizations I've been in an extraordinary ecosystem of networks um, uh, that tackle every kind of um, characteristic but also all of those um, life situations or life um, events that are specific um, to women. So over, if I look at our season over this International Women's Day or sort of week or, or month and, and last year, we've had networks in the CPS around miscarriage, around challenges in early parenting, um, around menopause, um, and a lot around and, and, and we also have to be very, very vigilant about um, gender based crime. Um, there will be there will be people on this call um, who will have experienced that um, in in their own or wider family circle. And so the importance of networks to discuss that and then the importance of support and a culture where it's OK to take that is um, is absolutely key. Um, because quite often I've found in my own lived experience and then that of colleagues and my my huge network of wonderful women who have supported me over over my time. It's sometimes getting the right support for those internal factors is really, really important. And then if you've got a culture, it's OK to talk about it, which is what networks facilitate. Then I think that's the real way that we break the glass ceiling or peel our feet off the sticky floor and Maybe I wonder actually with Lego bricks stuck to those feet as well. <laughs> I wonder Rebecca. Not like you I've got two boys. 
<laughs> I wonder if Rebecca, if um, actually the workplace has changed its role in the last two years as well. Because of the pandemic, we haven't been able to see our friends and the networks that we would naturally have had have been taken away from us. But we've all had each other every day because work's the one constant that those of us lucky enough to have stayed in work have had. So work's had to step up and take some of the responsibility for more of that social interaction than maybe we were responsible for pre-pandemic. Yeah absolutely mm. and and you know we've all been in each other's homes um and yeah. you know the importance of we had um our, our people at the number one pillar of our strategy and and for our covid response um i'm afraid i've worked in counterterrorism. i just ran it like a counter-terrorist operation um sorry i'm not afraid that's a very why should i be afraid i should own that i ran it like a counter-terrorist operation um but our, our people was the number one pillar and we ran well-being events i'm sure you did the same right through yeah. ensured everybody have well-being and welfare contacts and then some of the kind of team events and support events that people um, brought into their working life were really inspiring and so necessary to give give that support but it needs to reach everyone it just can't be through the particular pockets of leadership and management that are committed to this it needs to reach everyone and that takes effort I, I agree with you Rebecca I, I, I know that all the networks across talk talk really stepped up during the pandemic and, and they were they grew immensely over that time and so it sounds very similar to CGI and, and CPS. It's and they they've offered such support in such a strange time in our lives. And but what's really encouraging is those networks have all continued to flourish as we've gone through the ups and downs and as we hopefully come out of um, COVID and move move forward. Um, and it, it, I just think it's they they've been so powerful in in providing that support and. You know, and that support then helps to break bias in many ways because you get such a different view, different um, you get so many different views. And um, I think my other the, the other thing I would add to it is it's our internal networks, internal training is really important. But I also think you know really changing recruitment methods as well is is important. So really sort of masking CVs, really making them you know really yeah skills based. So you so that's really helped awful lot we at talk talk we've introduced that and um, throughout and um, throughout the past few years and that's really helped us to um to become more inclusive in those recruitment processes and break down some of the un you know the unintentional bias that potentially existed in those areas um, and that's been quite powerful in, in improving and helping improving our, our our gender balance Thank you. Yeah, I think every, everything that everyone's touched on there, particularly around the pandemic, has been really interesting. I know in terms of CGI's Women's Network, we we really thought outside the box in terms of what else we can do to get to get people together. And it definitely we saw more engagement than ever, which was really, really comforting. So, yeah, it's been fab to see that that continue as well. So in terms of all the things we've kind of touched on, and, and Donna, I'll go to you for this question, if, this, if that's OK. Um, with there being kind of more, more and more females in, in leadership roles today, how, how do you see this helping to remove bias in the workplace? Uh, just, just by leading by example, and um, that having established, you know, more role models, it actually gives everybody something or someone to aspire to as well, and they can actually see that it, that they are capable of doing it. I mean, you know, we've already we've already mentioned before that we all suffer with a bit of lack of confidence and the imposter syndrome when we're in certain situations. Um, and, you know, we we've historically, you know, heard that the languages are being bossy or, you know, isn't she emotional and all those kind of things. 
you now where we have such strong leaders and we have such fantastic role models i just generally think that the building of the confidence of our female talent will start to improve and pe i mean the pandemic for example as well gave people the opportunity to recognize that they weren't the only child caregiver out there and that that responsibility was shared. So we probably had more women apply for promotion during the pandemic period than we've ever had before. Um, one of the one of the um, conversations and biases that I'd seen previously was a manager had left a role and a female went to apply for it and she was asked in the interview, are you able to do the really long hours that Bob did, you know, and are you able to work as hard as as he was? And she phoned me up for a sort of bit of coaching and mentoring advice on that. And I just said to her, just say no, but you're going to do the job better and different. And I think it's about having the confidence to be able to, you know, for our female talent to aspire to be more like their role models. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Confidence is a huge thing for, uh, for, for women in, in the workplace. I mean, yeah, there are, and it's so important that we, as leaders, encourage encourage people to come through. At talk talk, we're doing all sorts of things. The introduction, in particular, of our um, uh, women in leadership apprentice scheme, and um, we we launched that uh, September last year. We had our first intake of um, amazing women um, that started. In fact, I've got several in within my own team. Really starting to help women take that step into leadership and really develop their plan. That's been re really exciting to help bring that. I agree, the more you have in your, in your leadership, the more you're going to break down that bias just through, you know, that, that, that all those different um, points of view, those different perspectives, people that will be more challenged, that will actually start to break down biases or not accept that they exist. Um, it really it just starts to snowball and you start to break it down bit by bit and it's so important we just continue that so it just becomes normal yeah. for us I, I think you get you get a real snowballing effect I've I've felt it over my career when at, at board level or senior executive group level you hit or exceed 50 50 um, and, and then there is a totally different feel um to the organization early in my career i just used to keep tally of the number of meetings where i was the only woman or there were only two of us out of 20 or um and it's it, it, it's not the same now and i i i'm you know we, we need to stay vigilant for all of these factors to keep it that way um but i'm i'm really encouraged when you do get to that point and now we need to see it the same with um, you know, with our black and minority ethnic colleagues, disability, it's the same. We, I feel, we, I feel very strongly the need to um, to champion others who otherwise would feel a lone voice around a board table. Mm -hmm. I got um, a top tip from um, a professor of uh, psychology who said that if you are in a meeting and you're the only woman, and let's be honest, we are still many of us. Um, do something at the beginning of the meeting for people to hear the timbre of your voice. So ask for the window to be open or ask to borrow a pencil or do something because often you get talked over because people aren't adjusted to the timbre of a female voice. And if it's a room with 10 men, then the, the actual pitch of the voice is different. And if they haven't heard your voice, then they're not being rude. They're just not tuned into hearing you. So try and set your voice early in the meeting. Um, 
give it a go. I've I've done it ever since, and it's true actually. Yeah. So you know, give it a little go. Uh, I've done some work on where you sit in the room around what matters for your personal posture impact. I mean, you might not be conscious about where around a table you feel most authentic and also most powerful, um, but choose it. I know um, I'm, I'm, I'm better at a corner actually than in the middle. And I, I, I hadn't until I thought about that consciously. I hadn't. You have to relearn it online in a different way. Um, but but thinking about those kind of things, and again, there's support, there's coaches, there's personal development that can help help you with that. But that's a great tip, Tara. I will I'll take that away. Give it a go. See, I'm gonna. Um, if you work with the Ministry of Defence, though, you'll all be fighting for that corner seat because they all want to see every exit and entrance to the room, don't they, when they come in? So. <laughs> if you scramble for that one chair. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think confidence, imposter syndrome, sticky floors, like that inner doubt, we could all talk about that one for hours. Mm -hmm. And I think it's something that everyone experiences. Lots of different um, observations on that, I suppose. Maybe flipping that on its head and talking around people who can champion male allies. Um, we've talked a lot about what we can do. Um, but what can our male allies do to help us to overcome some of that doubt, be our champions and, and help us progress our careers even further? Um, Donna, do you want to answer that one to start with? Yeah, I'll have a go. I mean, I, I personally think that, you know, being an ally of networks and having that better level of understanding. Um, you know, Rebecca, you mentioned the menopause network. We, we run a session uh, on menopause and we had more men attending than we had women attending, which I think was, was absolutely fantastic and refreshing. Um, we also encourage when we're looking for mentors, don't we don't always recommend that women look for another female mentor, sometimes just look for a male mentor. So start to kind of shift the dial in terms of I'm looking for a mentor because I need help to identify myself from a gender perspective, but more as a career progression perspective. And by having a mentor, you quite quickly find that, you know, that there probably isn't the bias that you thought may have been there previously. So I think encouraging our allies to be mentors for all of our network groups, um, I think is a, a really good step forward. Yeah, I, I agree. I do think having a range of different mentor type support a support net a personal support network with a range of mentors really helps um not just someone that almost is a that you see as, as someone that you aspire to but you're right male female that really helps i mean we've actually had um um uh, you know some of our male leaders take over our women in tech um network for a for a four number of events didn't we stacy i think last year um i think six or seven of our senior leaders in fact up to quite recently one of our chairs of our women in tech network was a man um, yeah. um since so but we actually had this physical takeover of the of, of of the women in tech event by some of our male leaders and it was really quite inspiring to get their perception and their views on on bias and how how to get more you know more, more diversity within within both leadership and and technology um, and it really broke down a number of preconceived ideas for many people around actually how, you know, how everyone thinks of each other. I, I was quite impressed by that. And it broke, it actually helped, um, particularly within the te technology space, people to get to know their leaders better. And 
it's, it was quite it was, it was pretty impressive stacy i don't know whether you want to add anything to that i know you were you were involved at that point yeah i think it's really important to us that we balance all viewpoints um because otherwise we wouldn't be diverse right um if, if you go too female you're only going to female view so yeah i think it's absolutely important that we do get them in and to champion um and support us is exactly what you're saying just checking in on time um do we want to go to some questions from our listeners um and see if they've got anything different maybe and um, and keep them coming in if anything kind of springs to mind send them in and we'll um we'll, we'll try to get to as many as possible uh, bear with me just Struggling to see them for me. One second. Lovely. So, first, first question we've got here. Then, um, what was a challenge earlier in your career that, looking back on it now, with the experience that you have, might you might have handled differently? And um, Nikki, I'll go to you for that one first, if that's okay. Yeah. Sure. Thank you. Um, so, what was the challenge earlier in my career? Uh, I think confidence in myself was probably my biggest challenge earlier on in my career and really um, having the having having the belief in myself to take things forward as ex as I as I wanted to do them and not not um, compromising on, on what I was looking to do because I had I lacked confidence in because um, I had to go into a, you know, a room full of male colleagues or, or so forth. So I definitely know that looking back on it now, I'd have handled a number of those experiences very differently um, with a, a, a more sense of purpose of myself and knowing myself. Those experiences differently, which would have changed the outcome of some of those some, some of those quite difficult technical technology meetings very earlier in my, my career that okay. I probably should have spoken up more in and had more conviction in my own beliefs. So that's that's what I would be doing differently. I am. Um, I, I, I think the same. I think in mine, I always wanted to feel like I was adding value or doing something that was, you know, of use. And so typically those roles like I'll take the minutes, you know, or I'll take the notes actually by doing that you feel like you're adding value because you're in the room but actually all you get is pigeonholed into this you know oh there we go we've got a woman in the team great go get the kettle on you know those kind of things so i think if i could tell my younger self anything it was don't get yourself into that position early on such a good tip yeah fab advice donna and um apologies i've i've lost visibility of the questions Stacey. i don't know if you're able to ask the the next one for us to the panel yeah, I can just about see one. Um, so Tara, I'll ask this one to yourself if you don't mind, because you mentioned it at the beginning. Um, so there's a question around working in technology, heavily male dominated, suffering with imposter syndrome. Have you got any advice on how, well, have you experienced it yourself initially and then any advice on how you can overcome it? I think, uh, I think we're all honest, we all suffer imposter syndrome. It's a, perhaps it's a trait that, you know, I, I fight all the time. I was saying I was in a found myself in a meeting only last week with lots of CEOs to talk about um, the world issues that were going on and didn't feel 
valid to have a view when I was, you know, thinking, oh, that guy runs British Airways. Oh, that chap runs Marks and Spencer's or whatever. You know, I thought, and then I thought, hang on a minute, they've invited me to turn up to talk about the tech sector. You know, perhaps I should say something, you know, but I've still had to talk myself into it, you know, and that's probably my top tip. Get prepared. So if you're going to a meeting, you're there because someone wants you to be there. So have a think about what your view is of the meeting. Write it down if you need to and don't leave the meeting not having said what you want to say, because otherwise you've wasted everyone else's time as well as your own because you're there for a purpose. So, you know, don't use your own problems <laughs> to get in the way of the reason why you're there, because you're amazing and you've got a point of view that people need to hear. You know, so try and get yourself a little bit organised would be my top tip to try and fight the imposter syndrome by thinking it through and turning up ready to talk. Now, if somebody else makes your point, don't feel the need to talk for the sake of it, because don't we hate those people? Um, you know, you don't have to be one of them. But if your point hasn't been made, make sure you make it before you leave the meeting. I think that's that would be my top tip. Fab, thank you. I've got a very interesting question next. And Rebecca, I'll go to you for this one, if that's OK. Um, do you have any advice for genderqueer, so transgender or non-binary assigned kind of male at birth people who might be uncomfortable with um, accessing women networks um, for the first time or want to educate themselves on any unconscious bias they may um, have from their upbringing? Yeah, great question. Um, I would say, and and I I I don't have that lived experience, so this is just this is this is advice from the perspective that I have. But again, I think the role of an ally in a network and the role of starting with network leaders and talking to them about this explicitly and then um, uh, creating that safe space in that network, finding allies, leading events, taking part um, and and, you know, knowing yeah, creating creating allies so that you can support and you can play a great leadership role um, and a great role model role um, at this time and um, with with some support. Find an ally, engage with the network and and go for it because you will role model and help yourself and others more than you may believe. Yeah, and I, totally I would, agree. Yeah, and I'd add to that as well. Just enjoy being your authentic self. Go out and love it. Love every minute of it. Yeah. Okay. I've got another question. Um, and this is actually applies to myself, so it's a good question. Um, and I suffer with it all the time, suffered with it yesterday. So being part-time, um, this is the question that's coming in. I often worry that people don't think I'm committed. Um, so my own um I only work four and a half days myself. I take half a day off on a Wednesday and every Wednesday when I log off, I worry, oh my God, what if someone tries to contact me and they can't get hold of me? Um, so I'm just going to leave that one open. Um, anyone who wants to take that question, what's your view on that? If people who don't work the full hours within the week, um, should we be worrying or not? I'll have a go first because I've only got, just got one very, very short piece of advice, which is don't apologise for it. So I, I often hear a lot of people say, oh, I'm really sorry, I don't work on a Friday or, uh, you know, I'm sorry I wasn't available. I don't don't ap stop apologising. And I think just changing that perception will make a huge difference. I, I, I agree. I think um, and in fact, a lot of the questions coming in and my advice to my earlier self would have been 
be curious about the inner voice that you have. Take some time to assess that and then neutralize it. <laughs> so you shouldn't need to apologize. You're not being paid for that time. Um, you've made a choice. I worked part time in different flexible working patterns or job share patterns for 13 years. Um, and um, uh, I think the taxpayer got value for money for my time. And I, 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 but I did have to have a sort of set of mantras that I told myself every time that voice, which I'm very familiar with, Stacey, um, came in. And, you know, your reasons for working in the pattern that you do um, are going to make you better at, at the job. And it's about input and not presenteeism. You know, and we should seize these times of flexibility. I mean, look, there's been an unprecedented transformation in 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 the workplace. We've all shown each other what's what's possible. We've all responded to a pandemic. So, you know, not working on a Friday. Marginal. I completely agree. I, I just think never apologize. Um, you know, there are so many companies out there, including I imagine all of us certainly at Advise and Talk Talk, we we promote flexible working practices. We purposely ensure that we um, we consider all all reasonable requests in terms of um, part time working or flex and part time working, but never apologise for it. It's always about your what you what you what you input, not how long you're sitting at your laptop or whether you don't actually answer a Teams call or a message or a, or or, a, or an email with it within a particular time. It's much, you know. But my personal view is I base people on what they you know what their output is as opposed to not how long they're sitting at their desk um it's really and and as for the inner voice um I suffer with it too I've given mine a voice and I put it I put it on the shelf when I hear it and just remember that it needs to go back in its basket and then get on with the job <laughs> I, I did the same. I've got a whole collection of them. They're all lined yeah. up on the shelf, <laughs> and they're quite useful. They all have a role, but they Definitely. just yeah. Definitely. They also need to be put firmly in their place. <laughs> Definitely, I think that's that's really really sound advice. So thank you. Um, got a question here. What advice would you give to younger male colleagues who struggle to speak out against casual remarks or comments made um, by more senior senior members or, or peers um, within the organisation? And how do you kind of break that stigma of upsetting the apple cart by kind of speaking up and, and trying to kind of stop some of those those things happening? Um, and Tara, I'll go to you first for that, if that's OK. It's, it's a good point. And let's remember that no matter how senior or junior you are, you have the right to express hearing someone who is more senior than them saying something sexist racist etc then it's it's their responsibility to speak out regardless of how they feel about the senior person etc because you know otherwise how will we stop it it becomes something that's acceptable so um they've got to take a deep breath and point out it's not right because there's no way in the organization that anyone's not going to support them if somebody takes umbrage with what they've done, it, you know, then it's the umbrage person that's wrong, not the individual who's speaking out. So, you know, my advice is always speak out. If someone is is acting or saying anything inappropriately, then they should call them out at the moment it occurs. Um, if they genuinely don't think that they can, then they should go find someone that they trust and tell them, and that person will call them out. But don't do nothing because then you're part of the problem, aren't you? You're by your behaviours, you're accepting that that's okay. And, you know, that's not OK. So I think, you know, be brave, you know, would be my advice, you know, be brave, either say it or go find someone who'll say it for you, but don't 
don't do nothing. And I, and I always say as well, Tara, it's be brave, speak up, but don't necessarily be sensational about the matter. Yeah. Because it's so rare that people intentionally go out to offend, right? It's so unusual. People are just not aware of the right terminology to use or the right behaviours or it's considered yeah. a bit of banter. You know, so I always, you know, when people bring things to my attention, I say it's about educating others, you know, so don't be sensational. There's no, you know, don't raise a grievance or official complaint actually speak to that person and typically when you do that you find that the person who made the offensive remark or comment or suggestion whatever it is is so awfully embarrassed yeah they're mortified feel, usually you're right yeah and just didn't realize the impact of their behaviors and but when you explain how it made that other person feel yeah straight away you know you've just changed that behavior for that person probably for life so so i always say be brave but not necessarily sensational yeah yeah no Good advice. Um, OK, another question that's come in is sometimes I overthink before I speak, especially when there are senior members, some real senior leadership in the meeting, in the room. How can I get better at this? So I suppose people fearing that senior leadership in the room. There's some practical things. Breathe. <laughs> Breathe before you speak. Anchor yourself inwardly. Um, I really like Tara's the practice the timbre of your voice. You can do that in your head. You can anticipate and think how your voice is going to come across. But take a deep breath. Um, focus on how your voice is going to come across. Your point is probably brilliant. You've probably really crafted it very well. So breathe. I agree. My, my other tip is to slow down. I often get a lot of people speaking really quickly and actually and not taking you know, not not breathing in between their points but so slow down pause when you make a point look around the room so people have acknowledged it and then proceed so that that's my top tip for it but uh, and, I, and I suppose it's an old adage and I totally agree with you Nikki but people in senior jobs are just people doing jobs yeah. You know, so they're doing a role. They still have to go home and make the tea and watch the telly and all the things everyone else does. You know, they're just doing a different role to you. That's all. So, you know, don't assume that there's some kind of demigod that's got all the answers because you're going to be disappointed. And maybe think about how it might help you if you thought, I wonder if they're asking themselves in their head, how will the more junior people in this in this meeting to speak <laughs> up? If you came at it with that mindset, which some of the senior people, not all, but some may be thinking, you may find that your comment is actually appreciated. <laughs> so true. <laughs> but on. Um, how scary those junior people actually. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I, I guess the other point is they're normally asking you because they don't know. So yeah. if someone's asking a question, it's it's normally yeah they, they want the answer. Want to know. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Um, good question that's come in. I'd love to know who the panel see as their role models or who has had the most influence on their careers and why. Um, Donna, how about how about you for that one? Oh. For me, it's Tara McGeehan. <laughs> Thanks, Donna. She's my boss and she sorts out my salaries, you know, beside the point. No, in, in all seriousness, I, I've worked for a number of women in the past um, and a number of men in the past. Um, but I think, you know, 
anyone that knows Tara will know how genuine and authentic she is. And, you know, we get the job done, but equally, you know, we have a laugh and we have a bit of fun with it as well. You know, and not coming to work doesn't all have to be incredibly serious. And I think, you know, Tara, you genuinely is fantastic and anyone that gets the opportunity to work with or spend time with her will equally recognise that. So thank you, Tara. Thanks, bit creepy, but sorry. Oh. <laughs> it's true. Oh, that's really you made my day. Thank you. <laughs> Don't get emotional. Oh. <laughs> Are you speechless, Tara? A little bit, yeah. No, it's nice, isn't it? I think um, for me, for me, I would say um, in a kind of broader people we know, aren't we missing Angela Merkel, all of us as the world, you know, uh, sensible, existed to do a good job, not flamboyant woman who, you know, uh, you know, whatever your politics, etc. I think the world's missing her at the moment. And then you have Excel. In terms of role models, well, I, I've known many um, amazing female leaders in work and and actually leaders in at home as well. You know, I, um, you know I, there, there are numerous people that have had huge influence on my life and, and set me on the right stead. I mean, it, you know, it, this is going to sound very, um, very twee, but my mother has had a huge influence on me. You know, she um, she she's taught me to you know do many things work as hard as you can and and appreciate that you know the, the appreciate what you've got um but i've also been i've also worked with some amazing women throughout all yeah throughout all the areas that i've worked in some have worked for me some have been colleagues and um some have been um, some some have been my line manager i work for a, a female ceo now tristia harrison is the ceo of talk talk and you know she's an amazing role model too in terms of um, being being a female CEO in 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 the in the telecoms industry. So lots of different people for very different reasons, as well as a lot of male colleagues that are also um, you know in, yeah they they've also influenced me and and um, too. But you know in terms of specific female leaders, though yeah those those are the two that stand out. And I'm, I've had um, I've had some wonderful um, women mentors, bosses, um, leaders who I've stayed in touch with over the years. And actually, when you support each other over the years, it can be really, really powerful because when life throws curveballs at you, there are events that are difficult to withstand when you have that kind of partnership. It's very good to stay in contact with people over the years. So I can think of I can think of three dames um, that are very important and, and meaningful to me who've helped me a lot and um, and when you stay in touch over a large number of years it can be reciprocal as well um, and uh, I also I also get lots of support from from um, more junior women who I've stayed in touch with or mentored and when they tell you the impact that you've had on them it helps feed you so actually I thought that was a um, it's it's um <laughs> It's really it, it's it's really wonderful as well. So I get support from around and below as well. Brilliant. Thank you. So not a question, but just some feedback. So what a great panel and discussion. So thank you all. And personally, I've taken some stuff away from today as well. So it's been it's definitely been helpful for myself in terms of that part time. So 
thank you all for taking time out of your day. It's really important that we have discussions like this. OK, um, it definitely supports and gives other people the confidence to know that everybody else is experiencing and I'm willing to go out there and champion um, and do things to challenge and, and break the bias, obviously, which is this year's theme. So my understanding, Stacey, is the link will be available. Correct. Yeah, link will be available. So anyone that's missed it or wants to listen to it again, then then they're, they're more than welcome to do so and feel free to share. Lovely. And so, thank yeah, you. thank you very much. Thank you as well. Thank you both. Well, very yeah. well organised. Thank mm -hmm. you. Excellent job, Stacey. Yeah. Thanks for joining. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye.